You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I went on the spring break trip as well. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad I did not have to get asked to do a recap, but just in case, I just got access to Google Bard, which is an AI chat thing. And so I asked it to write a song about the mission trip uh, in case I had to do the recap. And so can we um, write, a, write a song about it? This is Alan's mind. Write a sh- song about a mission trip, coffee, Bass Pro Shops, roofing, barbecue, and a line of life. And so uh, the first verse, we woke up early one morning to go on a mission trip. We packed our bags and said goodbye to our families and friends. This is true. Uh, we drove to Bass Pro Shops to buy, I like that this is the chorus. We went to Bass Pro Shops. The largest Bass Pro Shops in the world is in uh, Memphis, uh, in um, the uh, old Memphis Grizzlies basketball stadium. Memphis, if you didn't know, is the name of a city uh, in Egypt. And so the basketball stadium is a pyramid. And so Bass Pro Shops is in a pyramid. It's so like extra. Um, there's a hotel, there's an elevator to like an observation deck. Um, there were ducks inside there. Uh, it was crazy. So anyway, uh, we only went once. Uh, you, we had barbecue. To, the chorus. This is a different chorus, oddly enough. We had a barbecue, a barbecue to celebrate our hard work. True, awesome. We ate some delicious food and then we relaxed. And then we're back here. We went to Alliance Life to worship God. We learned about Him and grew in our faith. It's cool that Bard knows Alliance Life is a church to worship at. So um, our SEO is great, guys. Um, so that's search engine optimization. If you didn't know. Um, Okay, anyway, enough tomfoolery. Um, Here's what I know. That makes me very comfortable that uh, the computer is going to do my bidding and be obedient to me and not do what it, like, it's not supposed to. You know, all the AI stuff, like, I'm like, one day it's going to be like, make paper clips the most efficiently possible. Humans are an inefficiency in paper clip manufacturing. Eliminate the humans. Like, um, so far, we're not there. Um, But this, this, as I was thinking about this, it's sort of just me playing with some stuff this week in my free time, but also thinking about the theme as I was in this word that was coming to mind for today's message. And the word that comes to mind for me is obey. This chat bot obeyed what I told it to do. Um, it has limits. It obeys rules. It's like, I'm not going to destroy the humans. I asked it. Um, now it could be lying, I suppose. But, um, but when you hear that word, when you hear that word obey, and you think of computers, you think of children, you think of pets. Do you, think, do you guys know the clothing brand Obey? Started in 2001. Um, this is their, their logo. You put that up there, Rod. It's just like authoritarian poster. You guys think of authoritarian posters. You think of like um, fascism. You think of do what we tell you to do or else. Um, Obedience is a complex topic. It really depends on what cultural stream you come from, how old you are, all these different things. But the cultural stream that most of us here were born in and live in and we are in definitely right now is the American cultural stream. And and obedience is the last thing on our mind. (laughs) The only reason the American Revolution wasn't called the American Rebellion is because we won. That makes sense? Like, we started with a tea party, we started with these different things, and we think that we we have a good way. And so revolution, rebellion, bucking the trend, it's part of our national DNA. And so as a Christian in this space, it's natural to come up against this topic in funny ways. Um... We see it in our world, right? To obey is to be weak. To obey is to be taken advantage of. 
Now, don't get me wrong. That, that can be a problem. If we obey the wrong authority, if we obey the wrong thing, if we adhere to the wrong value system, it becomes a problem and has drastic consequences in our lives. In fact, I actually don't think we have so much of a problem with adhering to things and obedience. We just have problems with adhering to the right things or the other things. When somebody on one end of the political aisle criticizes somebody else for being too adhered to their viewpoint, it's not because they're too obedient to something. They're just not obedient to the thing that they want them to be. Does that make sense? Sorry about that. Um, let, me, let me ask you this. Like, um, when you get worked up about obeying something, why is it? When you feel frustrated about being told to do something, what's going on in your heart? Now, some of you are Enneagram 4s or Rebels, and you're just like, I'm always never going to obey. I could have said that better. Um, but the reality is you are obeying a very specific way of thinking and looking at the world. To buck against a trend is to say the trend exists, and so I have to be the exact opposite of it. You're still complying to the way the world is. In fact, you're doing it so much that they built stores for you. Um, <laughs> um, it's interesting, right? Like we, I see this in different areas. Like we, we just, we, we have three kids. We have three kids, six, five, and one, and we had to name them because that's an honor and a curse that parents have. Um, the curse, because you're afraid to do it wrong, the honor is you get to bestow something really beautiful on your child. I love our children's names. But as you look at the names and some of these naming trends, um, there's this list of top 1,000 names. 50, 60 years ago, it was like 85% of the names, I'm getting the numbers wrong, so I apologize, but I believe it was like 85% of names came from that list. Today, it's like 65% or something like that because we want to buck a trend. We want to be unique, but in doing so, we're creating a new trend that we follow. We are always following something. It reminds me of this um, song. I, I didn't grow up listening to it, but I heard about it here in Atlanta Life years ago. It's by Bob Dylan. It's, you got to serve somebody. And I think Bob Dylan, uh, if you know his music, great. If you don't, go check him out. This song is beautiful. Um, he says, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And that's, that's, I just come back to, I think, yes, that's true. We're always adhering to something. We're always obeying something. But how do we know what's worthy of our obedience? And once we know what's worthy of our, our obedience, how do we go about doing so? Well, the free space on your bingo card today is as a Christian in a Christian church, obey God. Great. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, even if you agree with that, I think you have questions about what do I obey and how do I do that? Which brings us to God's word. It has to bring us to the Bible. And that's what we do here on each Sunday is we take a passage of scripture and we talk about it. We try to make sense of what it says to its original audience and how it applies to us today. And so um, today we are going to look at a book of the Bible called Isaiah small little section of it. We've been going through these sections of uh, Isaiah called the servant songs. These are little oracles, little tidbits, little like poetry of, about a coming Messiah. Isaiah wrote a long time ago to Judah, but also to Israel, the two divided kingdoms of, of what used to be Israel. And he, in his second half of the book, is writing about a coming hope. And he sets up this coming hope with this servant, this servant who does what Israel did not do. And we've, we've seen two messages on this so far. I've listened to them while I was gone. I listened to them online, like thankful for uh, Michael and Nick uh, bringing those to us. Like, but the, the, 
the point of these servant songs is to point out this true and good servant of God who did what his people didn't do in a lot of ways did what we still struggle to do today. So with all of that, um, I want to read to you guys Isaiah chapter 50, verses four through nine today. That's the passage we're gonna be in. Um, If you were in one of our small groups, um, you got a chance to discuss this this week. I would encourage you, if you're like, I'm stressed out a ton this semester, the wrong thing to do is say, I gotta dig more into my academics. The right thing to do is say, Maybe there's a bit of tweaking there, but make sure you commit to being in a Bible study. Maybe you haven't been to one, but like, let me encourage you. Connecting with other people with God's word is a great use of your time. It's going to help recalibrate your expectations, and it's going to give you a chance to learn how to live your life better. And it gives you some pre-lab before your Sunday morning uh, service where we come together. Today, we're going to learn about the servant and his obedience, the cost of his obedience, and the joy that comes with obedience. I am really going to pray now, not to finish, but just to before God's word. Would you join me? God, I thank you that your word is yours to us. I thank you that it is living and active and vibrant and true. And I pray, Lord, that it would be useful today for our teaching, for our admonishment, for our encouragement, for instruction. God, I pray that each of us would come away with something for, for us something that would affect us and change us, that we would not just be seers of the word who look in a mirror and forget what we look like afterwards, but really people who become doers of the word, people who are transformed by it. So God, I pray for that um, for us today. Amen. All right, I'm gonna have the, um, the words uh, to this uh, not psalm, it feels like it. So this song uh, up on the screen um, and you can follow along. Up there is, I believe, the ESV. Um, so, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. This is the servant speaking. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ears and I will not be rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. It's the word of the Lord. Um, so one of the things that I feel like is important with these is, how the heck do you know these are servant songs? Does somebody really, really smart with stuff that we don't have like decide, hey, this is probably that? Um, no, there's actually clues. So actually the verse right after this, verse 10, says uh, it, it, there's a change in voice. And this might be where you just have to continue to learn how to read the Bible, read it over and over again to start to see these things. But it goes and it says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? So there's a change of voice that says, hey, there's this song. Who among you is listening? Are you listening to the sermon? So we know this is the sermon. We have this clue here. Um, the tone actually shifts from before, um, from the Lord speaking to the servant speaking from verse three to verse four. So we have a good sense that this is that section. Um, 
So what's the point of this whole thing? What's the point of this song? Um, Isaiah was a prophet, and so he was writing prophecy, which is godly truth, not future telling. Um, now, this does have some future telling to it, but prophecy at its core is speaking godly truth to God's people. And so in this, there is godly truth spoken for Israel then and a hope for them going forward. Here's the short end of it. Um, this comes right after a section where the servant, Israel, the not-so-good servant, just would not listen, would not obey, would not follow, would not do what they were told. And so the, the perfect servant, the obedient servant, the suffering servant comes in and says, I'll do it. To make sense of this passage, though, I think it's helpful to break it down into a few sections. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at it where it says the Lord God. There's four interactions with the Lord God that I think are really helpful for us to break this passage down into that kind of help us make sense of how God is interacting with the servant and how the servant is responding. Because if we start with the theme of obedience, obedience is response. You can't obey in a vacuum. There's something to be said and given. And so these four sections, we see it. He says, it says, he has given me the tongue of those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ears. The Lord God helps me. And just for good measure in verse nine, again, the Lord God helps me. These four interactions. The first, starting in verse four, let's go there. So the sermon has been given an ear to hear and a tongue to speak. What, what, what this simply means is, God has given me the ability to pay attention and to do something about it. The ear of one who is taught, hopefully you guys have the ear who is one by taught, who is the ears of one who is taught by God's word today. That makes that makes sense? It's a really fancy way of saying he helped made sure I listened. <laughs> so to be given the tongue of one who is taught, so that I may he may sustain with a word him who is weary. And I think I've been thinking about this, like this strikes me because um Obedience to God probably has, obedience, we talked about this, right? Maybe you're thinking about it with pets or like authoritarian posters. Obedience has implications and the obedience of the servant has an implication for the one who is weary. And, and maybe we can talk about this more. I have some more stuff on it, but like your obedience, the servant's obedience has effects on other people or your lack of obedience has effects on other people, not just yourself. The servant was so... Um, well taught and so well instructed and so paid attention to what God had to say that he was able to do it because it was clear. I'll talk more about that in a little bit here. Verse five. The Lord God has opened my ear. Once again, listening. But there's something different here where it says, the, the next thing it says, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. It could feel like it's repetition, but, and I think there is some repetition in oral tradition, right? Something that's listened to, repetition is helpful. But there's something distinctive going on here where the obedience feels like there's something implicit change in it, where it's not just doing good, but like there's some opposition. There's something that makes it harder to obey. Now, I don't know if you, if you guys feel this way, but obeying God is pretty easy when it feels good. When I'm helping people and things are, seem to be going right from my perspective, but all of a sudden when the opportunity to rebel or turn back shows up, I know that sometimes I'm looking for the door. But this is what makes this, the obedient servant so incredible is he did not. And then it amps up in verse six, I gave my back to those who strike. He got hit, he got beat. My cheeks to those who pull out the beard. You guys, you guys, you guys ever had your beard hair pulled out? 
hurts. Uh, kids pulling on beards, man. That's, you got to keep it high and tight. Um, <clears throat> what God has called the servant to, whatever obedience that Isaiah doesn't even know about, but is writing on behalf of the servant, on behalf of God, is something rough and hard and difficult. While the servant does have a unique call as the servant, I don't think the idea of following God for us is void of suffering either. But why would being obedient to God be a bad thing, right? Like if honestly, like if we're like, this is the free space on bingo, obeying God is a good thing. Why would it receive ridicule? Why would it receive beating? Why would it receive um, beard pulling? Well, I just think we become so obedient to disobedience that we don't want anybody else to obey either. You ever think about this? Like um, somebody shared this image with me once. It's like, what direction is the floor leaning in the room you're in? When you have a bunch of people in your life pushing you to not follow God, it's a lot easier to slide down the floor towards them. So when a crowd of people start to disobey God, it's very easy to press on the person that is obeying God. Watch for that. Watch for the ridicule. Watch to stand firm in your own walk with God. This ridicule is not probably from an outsider. This is probably from God's people, and we'll see that it is from God's people in a little bit. The very people who profess to follow God are the ones who are just not getting it right. That's an indictment on my heart. Um, I can think of different moments where I feel like, ah. And I'm guessing you can think of moments for yourself. And if we're really honest, we could probably think of moments for each other. Like, we just feel like, man, we missed it. Together, apart from one another, that's the church. Um, we're a mess sometimes. So for whatever reason, to Isaiah, we'll be get to clarity here in a little bit. The servant is ridiculed. And then verse seven comes along. But the Lord God helps me. Very similar to verse five or verse four when he says, I, my tongue has helped those who are weary. God's tongue has helped this, this servant who's weary, who's tired, who's worn down. God helps. He says he's not been disgraced. He set his face like a flint. You guys ever use a flint? Anybody in Boy Scouts anymore? The sparks, a, a knife can't cut at it. Like it's, the flint sharpens the knife, not the other way around. Sitting on Survivor, great. Relevant content. Um, uh, and he's not put to shame. What I'm fascinated by this is, is the result of obedience is first a pushback from peers, from people who are trying to follow God, from others, and a remaining in steadfastness, a remaining obedience for the servant actually leads to vindication, to help from God. I think of First Peter chapter 5 when... Um, one of, the, one of the passages I memorized a long time ago. Um, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And it goes on and says, um, after a little while, the Lord will restore you. And I think about sometimes when obedience feels particularly challenging in the valley, that's when God starts to really meet us in ways that we wouldn't have expected, we wouldn't have been open to without being deeply obedient. thing is, though, with that, for, for the servant and for us, we are going to consistently be ridiculed as long as we're here on this earth for following God. Not, by, not because it's, we're like 
setting ourselves up for like all embattled, being embattled Christians. Like nobody cares about Christianity. Like no, we're pretty free in this country to worship, but we will be embattled in our own hearts, in our minds, with others, um, as long as we sit on this side of, of heaven. But if we stand firm with Christ, there is a, um, there's only a temporary ridicule versus a permanent disgrace. Verse nine, we have one more interaction. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Behold, all of them will wear out like garments, the enemies. The moth will eat them up. Learn something this week. Moths don't eat clothing. Their larvae do, um, in case you were wondering. Um, and they love like clothing or like moisture cysts and things like that. We don't have as much moisture in our clothing because we wash it all the time and dry it and stuff like that. But like in that day, moth larvae get a hold of your clothing, it's gone, right? Like it's just different. Like there is a serious wearing away of the garment. And Jesus, well, surprise, Jesus is a servant. Um, the servant is going to last out, outlast the ridicule because of a steadfastness to the father. So if you weren't paying attention, it's all right up here. The servant hears and does God's will. He's obedient. He stands firm, he's ridiculed. And yet the servant is vindicated and the vindication outlasts the adversaries. That is what's happening in this passage. This passage is shaping the image of God's perfect servant. And so as God's people in a restored Israel would have read this from Isaiah, um, they would have, wondered, they would have looked, who is the coming servant? How is this going to work? Are we the servant? Is that guy the servant? There was a hope for a coming savior, a Messiah in this. And today we live far enough forward into the future that we don't have to look forward to the Messiah. We get to look back at his coming. That's Jesus, right? Right, okay. If you say Jesus loud enough, people perk up in church, I think, like, oh. Um, he came and was obedient to God. When opposition started to press in, he continued to obey. If you didn't know this, Jesus was not very liked by the people in power in his day, the people in authority in his day, the church leaders in his day. He was plotted against, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was spit on, his facial hair was tugged at, just like Isaiah prophesied. If you don't know this Jesus who is ridiculed, like, oh, I love Jesus, he's great. Consider why he might have been ridiculed. Read the Gospels. Get to know Jesus and what he pushed against. How he might push against your own heart. Um, I want to pull from one New Testament passage here. Um, it's in the book of Philippians, um, verse, or chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, chapter 2 of Philippians is most likely an early Christian hymn that points to Jesus and his, his being in one in nature with God, being God, and yet being willing to submit himself to the Father, to death even, on a cross in verse 8. So, let me be clear. If you're waiting for an obedient servant, it's not you, it's Jesus. Um, it's not you, okay? It's Jesus. It's not somebody else. It's not the next pa pastor who you see on TikTok. It's not the next great American leader. The servant is Jesus. And anytime we try to put our hope in somebody else, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. So what do I think the point is for us today? 
here in this Lenten season, we've chosen to enter into these passages because we think it's a helpful way to point forward to this Jesus who we will celebrate both the resurrection, but before that, the crucifixion of. And it seems strange to celebrate and observe the death of someone, but because it's so good, we decided to name the Friday good too. And so this season, we focused on reading God's word together, right? Like we've done these Lent plans. And if you are 17 days behind, just start today. It's okay, guys. I love hearing your, like reading your comments. I think engaging in God's word is valuable. Don't feel like, oh, I've got to be a completionist and catch up or things like that. Like I like seeing comments. I like seeing who's following along. It's really sweet. I'm like 13 days missed. So it's helpful for you guys to know. Um, we've talked about self-denial this Lenten season much like the servant denying ourselves, listening to God through his word, denying ourselves. Um, but self-denial is also kind of in vogue, like culturally, like, well, you gotta deny yourself to like run that race or lose that weight or get that degree. And so self-denial feels like natural societally. And yet there's something distinctive about why we would deny ourselves. Um, and then this season, we've also talked about Repentance. repenting of our sins, acknowledging our faults. We're going to actually do a public confession of, to, to repent here in a little bit after um, I teach in, in between our songs. We need to repent because we are not obedient servants. We are not perfect. And if you think you are, you're wrong. If you think you need to be, you're wrong. If you think you aren't and you, ha- you will never be good enough before God, you are wrong. Jesus, the obedient servant, resets and recalibrates our identity. The sermon songs were for Israel, but this servant is for you and for me. These moments where we recognize that we are broken are a lot of things, depending on who you are. They're a moment to brush past. Say, I'm not that broken. They're a moment to wallow in. Oh, I can't believe how bad I am. Whatever these moments are, I would encourage you to begin to develop the practice to look to the obedient servant as an example, but also as the reason we can repent. These moments, they stink, they're rough, but it makes me thankful for Jesus the servant who did not waver, no matter what. And so I was thinking about what, how, how do I land it? How do I give us, like, what we need today? And I thought of three things because it's a sermon, I guess. Um, but um, the first one was to worship. When I falter, may my first act to be to worship Jesus who didn't. Well, Jesus had all the power and he chose to humble himself before God. Go read all of Philippians 2. It's right in there. It's it's amazing. And let's get even more mysterious. Jesus is God. He submits to God, the Father, the Son. There's a beautiful mystery in the Trinity, another reason to worship. This beautiful mystery of an obedient son to the heavenly Father who was willing to go to the cross is worthy of my worship. And I want you guys to come do come specifically every moment we're together to 
acknowledge that. But specifically, come with us on Good Friday and Easter to acknowledge that. Join us uh, on fr- Friday night, uh, two weeks from now, for Good Friday, and then Sunday morning right here for Easter Sunday. I want to talk about that. The reason why the resurrection is so powerful and important for us. So I want to invite you to worship this obedient servant. The second thing is, in his obedience, we should listen to and obey God too. His obedience is an example for us, and so we should not just say, all is lost and I'll do whatever, I'm saved by the cross, but to say, I am saved by the cross and therefore I want to obey. Because I want to have the tongue that is taught that can help the weary with a word. I want to be so obedient to God that he will use me. And I often, I often see when my disobedience to God ramps up, my ability to be used by God ramps down. Because I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm paying attention to something else instead of paying attention to what God has for me. So this gets us back to where we started. Who should we obey? Obey the servant. And the way to do that is engage in the word. We've been talking about in Lent here. Read the Bible. Get to know what God's instructions to us are. Oftentimes the question, I see this in college ministry all the time. What do you think God's will for my life is? I'm like, well, most of it's in the Bible. Um, most of it's there. Most of it's character-based. Most of it's relationship-based. Not a lot of it is career-based. There's some stuff there, and I think you should be obedient to a calling um, on your life if God gives you one. And I think you shouldn't waver from it. Um, but I think most of what, what I'm called to obey is in God's word. And so if I'm going to obey, like the servant, I need to get to know the Father, and I get to know the Father through his word. That make sense? So I should be called to, I, should, I want to worship. I want to worship because the servant is so good and so obedient. I want to obey because he obeyed. And then I want to acknowledge that I don't obey. <laughs> the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Um, Lord, help me in my disbelief. I believe, but I don't believe. You're going to fall short. And this often is where um, Christians are really tested. You say, I give my life to Jesus, I repent of my sin, and then you sin again. What do you do with it? Do you hold on to it and try to like fight it yourself? Do you conceal it and say it's not that big a deal? Do you just say, hey, I'm a sinner and whatever? Do you try to fix it? You try to pay penance for it and say, well, I can get right with God if I do these six things in this order. I, I, I don't know what your thing is, but like, you're going to fall short. When I disobey, I want to hide. And I see it in my children sometimes. When they get called out on something, oftentimes it's, let's go hide. I don't want them to hide. I want them to be with me. I want them to know that I love them and I care about them. And with, what, what they might have done was could have hurt them or could have hurt somebody else. Our disobedience is not something that sticks to ourselves. It has a blast radius. And so I'd encourage you, when you disobey, to turn to the one whose blast radius covers that, whose love covers that. Some of us hide. Some of us... Um, just perform better. I don't know if that's at you. That's you, or you feel like, well, I'm just going to serve a bit more. That'll show. That'll show sin. Talk to your father, heavenly Father. Acknowledge the servant who 
restore the relationship for you. It's not about getting back on the wagon and knuckling through. It's about recognizing there's a servant who's bridged the gap, whose obedience covers my disobedience. And maybe this, this is, if I were to simply say, this is what I want you to remember from this. If you're like, ah, oh, there's some action points or things like that. There's this statement that I just think is beautiful and true. The perfect obedience of Jesus restores the relationship broken by my disobedience. God's people, his chosen people who he loved, he loved not because they obeyed, but he loved them because he chose them. Jesus loves me because he chose me. He loves you because he chose you. He chose you. He wants you to follow him. And yet our relationships are broken because of our sin. And so while my disobedience breaks the relationship, the perfect obedience of Jesus restores the relationship. And so I would encourage you, get to know this Jesus who obeyed, Follow him and obey what he has for you. And when you don't, repent. Repentance looks like telling somebody. Repentance looks like talking to God and saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that. Repentance looks like getting help when you don't know how to handle it. This is a reality we have to, to fall into. Because if you got to serve somebody, you got to be in relationship with somebody and something, let me tell you, I want you to be in relationship with your creator. I want you to be in the best relationship with him. And there's so many other things vying for your attention, vying for my attention. Um, I felt it this week. I'm like, man, turns out YouTube shorts are really easy to just keep being stuck on sometimes. Uh, it's easy to be catechized and taught by the world around us. I'd encourage you, engage in God's word. Engage with him, obey. And when you don't obey, let's live in community and repent together. That's why I got, I feel like it's Jesus, guys. It's really good to follow him and know him.